Hello there. You are listening to the Inspired Minds podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. I am indeed your gracious and your grateful host. Hi, everybody. That was my impression of Garrison Keillor from the absolutely boring show from PBS, Lake Wobegon, ladies and gentlemen. I am back. Fuck this Garrison Keillor thing. Um, I'm having a great time, as you might notice, continuing to do these things. I'm getting looser and looser, folks. I started this thing off pretty by the book. You are now listening to the Inspired Minds podcast. This is my name. Here's the person. I am off the I'm off the ranch at this point with these things, but I'm having a lot of fun. And this next interviewee that I did was with a comedian, a guy named Jeremiah, and he is a really, really funny guy. But before I get into him as an intro, I did want to kind of bring up, because it did get me thinking about comedy, and I like to laugh. And I'm a big comic nerd, and we talked a lot, we talked a lot about that, of course, on the show during the interview. But as kind of an intro here, it got me thinking about Mel Brooks, because he's Mel Brooks. And he, he's like 95, 8, William Shatner age, I think, at this point. And he's actually doing History of the World Part 2 currently. In He's producing it. He's direct, or directing. He's acting in it. He's doing the whole thing. It's his. He's, he's Mel Brooks. He's a genius. So I thought I'd rattle off to some of his movies that just make me uh, smile and giggle. Uh, the Producers, a classic with Gene Wilder and Zero Mostel, for God's sakes. The Twelve Chairs, great movie not a lot of people know about. Of course, Blazing Saddles. Immediately followed by, in the same fucking year, Young Frankenstein. How's that for a twofer? Silent movie, which was a silent film. Not that great, but its big claim to fame was that it had one line only from, of all people, the mime, Marcel Marceau, who said no. Still kind of funny. High Anxiety, an absolutely brilliant Hitchcock ripoff. I didn't notice that really until I rewatched it. And it's a perfect vertigo. Birds, it got everything in the mix there. Spaceballs, you know, good. I mean, I know it's a classic and all that. Uh, Life Stinks, he did. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, which is actually really great too. Go Mel Brooks. The reason I love him so much is because in the aforementioned History of the World Part 1, he calls himself a stand-up philosopher. That's what I want to be. My aspirational goal is to be a stand-up philosopher. That's kind of what I do in therapy, but I actually listen more than I talk, I hope. I like to think of this little shindig that I'm doing here, stand-up philosophy. I don't even know what that really means. How about that? So, as a way of introducing this next gentleman, yeah, he's hilarious. He's a, he's a headliner comic. He has this fantastic, fantastic thing on Amazon right now. It's called Family Reunion. Jeremiah Watkins, Family Reunion, which is a show that he did in his local town. He was basically, uh, we were surprised that his family was there in the front row. So he did a lot of work uh, with them. And I learned so much about the whole world, too, as well. I'm a big comedy nerd, as I mentioned, as well. Um, but we talked about just so many things, especially horror, actually. He's a real big horror nerd, like I am. So we got into Fright Night. Uh, we got into Near Dark, which is just an amazing vampire movie. Catherine Bigelow actually directed long before she did uh, 30, uh, Zero Dark Thirty and a lot of those fantastic films as well. Um, and that was – there's just so much here. But the one thing I really did want to bring up before I get to this too far, the reason why I started talking to this guy in the first place is because the producer of this little shindig, Mr. Michael Lee Simpson, he knows this guy from – they used to live in the same little town in Iowa, I think it was. And they actually made a, a short little movie, a tiny little movie for themselves. And it was uh, about the adventures of Silverman, quote unquote, which is basically just some – 
um, some action figures that they had when they were kids. Jeremiah did all the voice work on it. And Michael's brother, actually, Scott, he did the soundtrack. And it's surprisingly really good, like a kind of a John Carpenter thing. It's fantastic. And all three of those clowns actually directed it and edited it. And I swear to God, it's like Oscar level. And then stuff gets knocked over and there's like Legos involved and it's five minutes and it's fucking adorable. And it just makes me believe in art. All the, all the more. It's wonderful. So given that fact, I have babbled enough. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful evening, day, night, 4 a.m., wherever you are. And I'm going to go watch some more Mel Brooks. I can't wait for this fucking Amazon thing. He's like 100 years old. It'll be out. Yeah, go, 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 Mel. All right. That's all I got. Take care. Bye. And hello. Welcome, inspired minds, dazzled throng. Please welcome the lovely and talented Jeremy Watkins to the stage. Say hello, Jeremy, to the dazzled drawing. Well, we're off to a swimming comedic start. My name is Jeremiah Watkins. Great to be here, brother. And here's the best part, by the way. This is like this is like interview one hundred and one. You get the guy's name right, right? Right. I've, I've gotten many. I've gotten many bad intros to the stage. So here goes Sean Watson to the stage, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, one of the worst ones I got was, uh, please welcome Jerome Napkins to the stage. <laughs> Excuse me? That is a real intro that I got once. Somebody saw it written down on paper, and they, they went for it. They said, please welcome Jerome Napkins to the stage. And you didn't change your name officially because? I know it's a, it's a catchy name. It's good. I mean, it, it could work. I deeply considered it. The best part is, by the way, I you know I, I have notes in front of me. Of course, I'm a professional, and every single one says Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. First one, Jeremy, in big bold letters. There you go. Moving on from that pain, what I like to do in the beginning of these things is to ask one question. Beginning of it, when you were younger, what was the first thing that you can remember that truly inspired you when you were a kid? Like it lit you up. Was it a song or a book or a comic? Go. I think uh, cartoons were probably the earliest thing, uh, really, that that come to mind uh, when I think of things that kind of like blew my mind. They got me excited about, uh, you know, just wanting to to do silly voices and and different things like that. If we're if we're starting from one of the early things uh, <laughs> growing up, so and and then it became you know comedy movies and sketch shows and and yeah. different things like that, but. Definitely something ar- ar- around uh, those elements. What, were the, what was the cartoons? Like, what era are we talking? I grew up kind of with the old school cartoons like uh, Yogi Bear, the Jetsons, uh, literally, like, like, and then it was more like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman, mm-hmm. the animated series, X Men, Spider Man. Uh, so it was a good, it was a good mix of different kind of eras of, of cartoons that I, that I had when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I was talking to a friend of mine actually about um, we went on a down a um, rabbit hole, I guess, pun intended, because it was all the old Bugs Bunny cartoons and sure. detail, all the animation and the the one liners and the jokes and Daffy and all the characters in it. And then they did that um, the kill the wabbit, you know, distillation of the ring, like all the Wagner in like three minutes, amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. So that that kind of obviously took you to a, a through line to kind of where you are now. Um, did you become a comic guy, like a hardcore comic con kind of guy too? Never a comic con guy. I, I haven't really been to the cons. Uh, 
I had like comic books as a kid, a little bit here and there. Uh, I had tons of action figures as a kid, though. I really loved all that stuff. And uh, as I got, old, got older, I got, um, um, you know, it's kind of a cool age that we're in right now because I, a lot of these movies that we have in the Marvel and DC universe, I never thought as a kid that we would ever see the light of day of any of these movies. So it's pretty mind blowing. Like, like, you know, 12 year old me versus now would be, would never believe that there was multiple Avengers movies and, and yeah. fantastic fours and, you know, all that stuff that as a kid that I grew up on with the cartoons and like the incredible Hulk and stuff like that. Where I was like, ah, they won't make movies like, like they don't have the, the, the means or the graphics to, to make stuff like this. So that's, that's kind of cool to see that, that come to life. Amazing. Yeah. And actually kind of while we're on a similar topic, I mean, horror, I got, I'm going to jump here for a second. I see that you're a horror guy. I, I read somewhere that you were at least. And yeah, you, no, I, I love, I love horror movies. Yeah. You called out a movie that I had to go back to and kind of rewatch a little bit. Fright Night. I love, I love that movie. Tell me why you go first and I'll give you my review. The reason why I like that kind of genre of film is it's kind of campy, but there's elements that sometimes like will actually get you like with the jump scares and stuff like that. Like that's no. to me, that's a really fun world to be living in where it's larger than life, but every once in a while it gets you. Uh, and I just think it's, it's, it's fun to kind of be with the kind that kind of filmmaking to be kind of over the top. And, and, uh, I don't know. It's, it's more, it's, it's very fun to me that, that, that style is just very, uh, a fun era of movie making. It, and it's campy. Like the second you threw Roddy McDowell into the movie, suddenly it goes into big fun camp. I mean, even Chris Sarandon as the, by the way, for the audience members, what the hell I'm talking about? It's a fantastic horror movie, vampire movie from 1985 that was practical effects because didn't have any digital stuff back then, obviously. And it was a real charm to it. It was genuinely scary. And, and uh, Jeremiah's right. There was definitely kind of a lot of jump scares, but they weren't, ter- they weren't just cheap. Is that close to being right? You think? I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about, I'm all about the practical stuff over CGI. Oh. Like as far as like horror movies go. And even just with star Wars, the fact that they used, for the Mandalorian, an actual puppet for Baby Yoda, I think that's a reason why people fell in love with that character is because it has such a lifelike quality versus something that if they just would have made CGI, it doesn't have that three dimensional quality quite yet. No, not, not I completely agree with you. In fact, I'm I'm the guy that just about a week ago went on YouTube and entered practical effects compilation. <laughs> it was like all the practical, like, sure. practical effects. It, honestly, it was basically the thing, the John Carpenter movie. <laughs> was, yeah, I, I don't know if it's uh, what's the fan? Is it uh, American Werewolf in London? One of the werewolf movies, yeah. uh, like where it's all practical, like the the transformations and stuff like that. It's I love that stuff. I love like the effort that goes into that. Um, you know, we have a mutual friend uh, who that's how we got introduced to each other, Michael Simpson. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did so many stop motion projects in high school that I have such a love and uh, respect for the practical side of stuff because, you know, we we're doing stuff on such a small scale and it took so many hours and so many days to film different projects that we did in stop motion. 
And, you know, when you're getting special effects and makeup and props and adding all those elements into it, Absolutely. that's just like another level of production that I, I really respect. And I, and I always love the way that that style turns out on, on camera. Yeah. And apparently, uh, let's go through them. Silverman apparently was a short action figure film about a garbage truck driver who turned into a superhero. I guess you were the voice. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Short action figure film. What does that mean? It was it little characters. Yeah, we we use different um, <laughs> we use different action figures and repurpose them uh, into our kind of more original characters. But we built like <laughs> we built a prop city for for these uh, characters and and different things. And I voiced multiple characters. And that that uh, short actually, we won some awards with that. Um, really, like when we we're uh, competing at the high school level. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. No kidding. And apparently there was another one, 007 spoof, where you played James Bond. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael is a is a very talented director and he would uh, we would uh, work together and he would uh, he would cast he cast me as the lead and I would help uh, uh, write out the situations and different things that could be funny for gags and stuff like that. So, yeah, we are we're a good team for sure. That's incredible stuff. I did the same thing in high school. Um, I, excuse me, I did a, a project for uh, school and um, I shot a movie for it, five minutes, something black and white, but we had, to, it was on uh, VHS because I'm a very old man now. And we had to cut to cut to tape, like actually like put, you know, put VHSs in and then stop it and then put another one in and record that at the same time. And, but it was that whole mechanic of it, that literal mechanic. It was that whole effort that was put into it. It was so much fun, to your point. Oh, yeah. You feel like you're really accomplishing something when it's actually physically, you're doing things physically uh, rather than just, you know, it all being digital. It, it's it's great, uh, obviously, the, the leaps and bounds that we uh, have made in technology. But even in high school, there was something about... <laughs> when you had to dump footage from a mini DV tape into, you know, into a, a Mac or a PC or whatever mm -hmm. that you're, you felt like, man, I'm really putting in the, the grit of the work here. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm physically doing work filmmaking. Right. right. Those are, have you ever seen a movie called Coven? A documentary? No, no, I haven't. No. Oh, watch. There's this documentary called Coven. That is unbelievable. It is a, uh, it's about, it's about, I don't know, 15 years ago it came out and it won all kinds of awards, but it's about this guy is trying to make a movie. He's trying to make horror films. And he, it's, it's what you're talking about. He started off when he was like six, but his talent has not gone up at all since he was six, basically. So it's, it's like, bless his heart. He's like trying to make these horror movies and they're absolutely completely God awful. But everybody else around him was like, you're great. You should watch it. Okay. I'll have to check you'll, that out for sure. You'll absolutely love it. Um, so this is probably a crappy segue, but you kind of want to talk about your comedy world. The first off, the Jeremiah Watkins family reunion where you were essentially, was it a setup is what it looked like that basically you walked in and then, cause you were in your hometown and then there was like family and friends. Yeah. So it was uh, definitely something that I would never set up because it was one of the hardest conditions to perform in ever. I would never set that up, but I'm sure uh, it could definitely feel like a setup. But when I walked out on stage, genuinely, I registered. I mean, you'll even hear the top of the, of my set, the first line or two that I say 
is oh. really me taking in the fact that for the next hour, I'm going to be performing in front of my mom and her new husband on one side of the stage and my dad and his new wife on the other side of the stage and a bunch of friends from my past all in the front row. Yeah. I, I kind of, I knew that part of it and I assumed that you just walked out cold and what was that in me? What was that? I mean, you did say it, you know, like, uh, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, was, no, I I vocalized what I was going to say, what I was thinking did. right away. Like, but really what I'm thinking on the inside is, oh, crap, 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 crap. I got to do a full show now for, for people who know me, like uh, in a very different way. They don't, you know, they don't really know. I've also not lived in Kansas since, you know, 2009. So the, the people that remembered me, I'm a, I'm a completely different person uh or at least a different version of of the memory of what people may knew me from back then so it's it's kind of a jarring thing sometimes it reminded me a little bit of there was a show called this is your life that was back in the 50s you ever hear about that no uh. a wonderful show on and you can look it up on youtube it was like from the 50s and the 60s and and the deal was it was like an hour-long show and they bring up a celebrity at the, whomever it was at the time and then they'd say Okay, uh, Stan Laurel from Laurel and Hardy. This is your life. So they'd inter- they they bring out people. Here's an old friend of yours you haven't talked to in ten years, and it's so and so. And remember this girlfriend from grade school. Here she is now. There's like something kind of sweet about it. So I was kind of watching this your special, thinking to myself, it was a little almost like, and here's your mother, <laughs> and here's a person you haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, There's multiple times in the special where. I started to do crowd work with somebody and then I stopped myself because it was somebody that I knew. I was like, oh, oh, yep, nope, this is somebody who I know. Anyway, I'm going to yeah. move on to somebody else. How do you do crowd work? I didn't want that to be set up at all. You know, me knowing somebody and me acting like I don't, like I've never done that as a as a comic. Like when I'm engaging with the audience, it's it's, you know, it's supposed to be people that you don't know. Yeah. And so how do you size someone up actually to do crowd work on them? I'm curious. It's an energy thing. It's an experience and energy thing. Sometimes I'm dead wrong, but the more that I do it, the more I have a general idea in the back of my head that like, okay, this person could have something about them that's interesting or they're at least willing to have a discussion. And that's up to me whether I can find the gold in there uh, with me digging, uh, finding out a little bit more about them in, in a short matter of time. So Is it it's very... What's that? I'm sorry. Is it body language maybe too? I'm really curious with this. It's it's a combination of things. It's body language. It's uh, it sounds weird, but it, like people, you know, put out very strong different energies uh yeah. uh whether it's like I don't know the right word if, you, if some people call it aura, some people call it energy, some people call it uh you know, f- physically um it can come down to that where if somebody has a an interesting look about them, that might be somebody who I want talk to uh yeah there's there's a number of things to 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 go in that direction where i'm like ah let's see what what's going on with this person yeah this could be interesting for not only me but also the crowd when does it go wrong Uh, it just goes wrong when there's no laughs really i mean that that's the only thing like uh, at the end of the day the the state the way i look at it is the worst case scenario is people aren't laughing so why not give it a shot to see if there's something interesting there if if my gut is telling me 
hey, you should talk to this person. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've, the more years I put into my comedy, the more I listen to that voice inside my head. That's like, Hey, you should do this. The better my sets are because that's, that's my gut. And, I, and when I follow my gut, it's, it's solid. Which you get over time, right? You just of do course. it over and over, and over again. Like, yeah, it worked. You don't that really, worked. you don't necessarily even have a gut when you're starting out of comedically what you should be doing. Uh, you have, you have hints of a gut, but over the years you get more dialed in and that's what becomes what people call like your comedic voice mm-hmm. of really knowing yourself and how to express your funny of uh, you being the person that people find funny off stage and putting that person on stage. I don't know if you feel this way when you're performing, but watching you perform made me think of a guy in a tight wire almost like not a tight wire. That's actually the wrong thing to say. It looked like you were floating. And I mean that obviously as a compliment because it was pretty effortless. You're very familiar. Oh, that- you're, you're, you're just walking on. And, and obviously I'm sure that takes a lot of practice, I would imagine. But it was an interesting thing because you just cut, or you're able to connect pretty quickly. I noticed. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. First of all, uh, that's definitely something that I've worked towards over the years. Uh, but yeah, I consider that definitely one of my my things as a comic. That uh, definitely not all comics possess that quality of being able to be as loose as I am and and uh, and and make it you know feel like I'm not trying really hard in the way of like um in the way like i try really hard with like my performance and like the way like like i act out with my characters and stuff like that but the way i interact with with an audience you never want that to feel forced or like the guy is trying when they're talking to the crowd you know what i mean so it's definitely something that that, that i've i've worked on over the years so i'm glad to hear that uh <laughs> that you feel that way yeah it's you know i so I've done stand-up three times in my life, um, about eh, five years ago, I guess it was, and it was incredible. It was like walking on a tight wire for me. It's that feeling of, this is either going to go really bad or really great, but I kind of don't care. And it was like liberating and all that. I did it three times, but then I was like, in order for me to be as great as I want to be, I need to put in 10,000 hours, and I just don't have the time for it. But I say that only to say that I think it's really incredible because I think the best comedians are the ones that are truth tellers. And people say that a lot, I guess, maybe about comedians, but the, you know, like for me personally, it's, uh, you know, um, Bill Hicks was one of my all time heroes and he had these truths that he would talk about or Carlin or Lenny Bruce or any of these people. Um, so I don't know. Do you, do you ever look at it that way? Like it's truth telling in a larger sense. I think that some of the, it's definitely, yeah, there's the, the best comedians in my opinion, the ones who go down as, as, as amazing comics, like the greatest of all time, they're definitely revealing truths in different ways, whether it's what they are thinking about society in general, or whether it be personal stuff, the personal stuff, for me, that's something that over the years I've really had to work on about opening up about. To me, it's way easier to do characters and impressions and stuff like that because you don't have any skin in the game with that kind of material because it's it's more surface level things uh, where if you're talking about your family and you're talking about stuff that could potentially be, you know, even dark to some people or or whatever 
that's the stuff that's that becomes like those next level bits where people that you know can't believe that you made something funny yeah. out of something that's sad uh, like i some one of my favorite pieces of crowd work i've ever done recently was in minneapolis minnesota and it was a situation where if i was in my first year of comedy i would have bombed following this immediately i started talking to a lady in the audience and i went to her and i thought that she was with her girlfriend so i said you two are uh, are lesbians right and she goes no i have cancer and right there if you don't have the means to handle that yeah as a comedian that can go very poorly very quickly because obviously cancer is a very of course uh, not funny subject. Uh, but I was able to pull it out with, um, making her and her friends laugh and then getting the whole audience involved and them laughing at something that, you know, was just a simple mistake on, on my part that we made into something that was, uh, a very cool moment that, that someone who has cancer probably needed to laugh at that moment because that's probably what she came out for because she's going through the thick of it at the moment. Comedy alchemy is what you did. If you ask me, yeah. based on that yeah. story alone, and I believe it can, you know, I I absolutely believe that comedy is alchemy when it's done right. You know, um, and to your point, I don't know if you ever heard or, or know of the, Tigna, the famous Tignataro bit. Yeah, yeah, I have cancer. Like, and, and she, I mean, it was a legendary set, obviously, because you're right. Because when you tell truths, and even if they're not like universal truths necessarily, but when just when you you can connect with that audience, be it through art, comedy you know, a painting, uh, it doesn't matter. Any, any expression of art, when you can connect with someone like that on that level, then it, then it becomes deeper for the audience and they can relate to it more. And yeah, I mean, I'm just repeating your point, but I believe that hundred percent. Absolutely. I want to talk to you also about the signature showcase stand up on the spot at the comedy store. Yeah. Yeah. That's all improv, right? So all improv comedians going up with no prepared material, asking the audience for suggestions and creating stand up on the spot based off what the audience yells out. It's a roller coaster of a show because there's moments of pure magic and then there's there's lulls where you're seeing comedians really search for it. So it's it's pretty fascinating to see some of the best comics in the world, how they approach it and seeing them sometimes struggle or you you celebrate the victories with them. So you're kind of with them on the highs and the lows of their sets. So you just walk right out and you got what, 20 minutes, 30, 10? Uh, all the comics do like about eight to 10 minute sets. Okay. Uh, and then I join them on stage after their set and we take some suggestions together to riff on. It's really, really, you talk about the high wire thing I was talking about. And that takes oh, time. That's, that's, that's that show in a nutshell. Oh, yeah. You walk out with nothing else. You start on a dot. So tell me about how you kind of got into the scene and the world and how does a guy from his relatively small town, I think in Kansas, is it not small ish? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Overland park and Olathe. That's the two cities I grew up in. Yeah. They're, they're not huge cities. Um, they're, they're, they're decent, but they're not, they're not giant by any means. Yeah. I was, you know, I was doing, uh, a lot of filmmaking in high school and broadcasting with, uh, our pal, Michael Simpson. And that led into, you know, we were, we started making sketches and music videos together and different things like that. And that really kind of ignited the fire in me to want to move to Los Angeles to do this on a bigger scale and do this as a profession. And I chose LA for 
multiple reasons, uh, just the film industry and uh, I want to do some acting and, and comedy. So it kind of felt like the best city to offer my way. Start signing up for improv classes and start hitting open mics. And then, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of hours and uh, a lot of shows later, we uh, were, were here on Inspired Minds together. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. How long did it take you to get into some of the bigger rooms? It's a long process. It's uh, honestly, it's um, so I'm, you know, I'm technically a regular at all the major clubs in town now, but there's still, you know, the comedy store is the only one who really like consistently gives me spots. Like you can be a regular, but you can also not be booked regularly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm at the comedy store usually at least three nights a week. Uh, so that's my home club. And then I'll occasionally do um, the Laugh Factory and the Improv, uh, like outside of that, and then a bunch of different indie shows earlier in the week. And then on the on the on the weekends, I go out on the road to different cities to headline and stuff like that. How far out do you go? I was wondering about that. When you say the road, are you flying? Drive? Oh yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, anytime I'm doing a full weekend, it's always uh, uh, a flight, unless it's maybe the Bay Area where. I can drive up there like in a car or like down to San Diego, like up the coast or whatever. But most weekends I'm, I'm catching a plane and I'm flying to different cities and different States. Yeah. That's, that's hard. I, are you familiar with the uh, comedian Judy Tenuta? In the nineties? Uh, I've never met her. I've never met her, but uh, I, I know of her. You know of her. Yeah. I used to, I was her publicist for a heartbeat a long time ago. And she was telling me about a weekend that she, you know, she, and she did a lot of the same thing. She'd go weekend in, weekend out. And she would tell me these kind of sad stories about how hard it can be on the road. Yeah, no, no. The, the, like if you're on the road every weekend, that is a, uh, it's just a hard life. Um, I think it's, it's very rewarding and gratifying at times, but to be every weekend on the road, I think it's pretty difficult. My ideal situation as far as me going on the road, I like to go on the road at most two to three weekends out of the, out of the month. Um, if you're doing four weekends out of the month, it's it's a grind where it takes a little bit of the fun out of it. That's just for me. Every comic is different. Some comics want to be on the road every single weekend, but I do a lot of things within comedy. Like I've, I've I do two podcasts that I'm a part of a week and I, I like yeah. being local and doing comedy locally in LA. So yeah, yeah it's just a little bit different. True. Oh, and for, and for the record, by the way, I do note that uh, you, you were the voice for the Joker on superhero girls. Yeah, that is me. Look at that. Historical Rose, Jimmy Kimmel live spots. And so with all yeah. that, with all that, and then you still go out and do the weekend uh, shows. Yeah, what's nice about they kind of fuel each other. When you do these other gigs, it helps you get booked on more things outside of uh, your city. You know, like it helps you get up at these clubs by having credits and doing different TV appearances and and movie stuff. So the goal is ideally for you know the careers to kind of feed each other. How do you? Something just crossed my mind. I had this vision of, you know, the rock star, like, you know, lead singer of Vince, uh, Molly Crew, Vince Neil. He's done with the big show, Madison Square Gardens. He runs off stage. You throw water on him. It's just all kinds of craziness. Do you have to like decompress sometimes after a show? Or are you just like, eh, I'll be at, I'll be at the merch table. Uh, I mean, I, 
I always do like a meet and greet after right after the shows, but I definitely have to decompress with either food or or um, ideally what I like to do before I go to sleep when I'm on the road is I love to to go to a pool hall or a uh, or a bar with a pool table. And that's a great way for me to kind of chill out and zen out before uh, I have to go to bed. So makes sense. Makes sense. I was when I was uh in a van forever. It was the same thing. I became incredibly good at pinball. I still am to this day for that exact reason. You get kind of good at like some of these outside hobbies. If you're consistently doing them when you're out on the road, because that's you, you want to fill your time with something on the road. That's not just staying in the hotel room. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm also really good at pinball or at uh pool too. It's like the exact same reason. Oh, nice. <laughs> I can shark anybody. Just from being on tour for so long. It's the same concept. But that's why sure. I asked the question because, you know, being on tour like that is emotionally draining. And I, I'm just surprised you guys pull it off, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, you have to love being a stand up and doing stand up if, if you're going to hit the road in the kind of capacity that uh, any headliner does. And, and fortunately, I really do love my job. I love doing shows out on the road. So it, it, it's, it's, it's cool, you know, when, what we do stand up is what it's meant for what we're, what we do it for. And then that's, you know, to, I always treat it as I'm trying to, to give people a mental vacation for an hour. I'm, I'm trying to have people forget their problems, forget what's going on at, at home, whether they're stressed about family, work, interpersonal stuff, whatever. I want them to just live in the moment with me for an hour. And if, if I can do that and, and take them away for a little bit and relieve some pain and with some laughs, that's, that's what I love about standup and what makes it so unique from, from so many other art forms. You like watching people light up. Of course. It's, it's, yeah. it's the best. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if you're familiar with a thing called mirror neurons. You ever heard of these things? No. Mirror neurons, I'm so fascinated by this. Um, mirror neurons, about 20 years ago, apparently, there were some studies done on some Macau monkeys. And when they had their brains wired up for electricity and such, or for testing, and or their skull, not they had, it wasn't a big brain that was exposed at any rate. One monkey picked up a cup, and they noticed that a particular part of the monkey's brain lit up because monkey picked up cup. Over there was a monkey who watched other monkey pick up cup. Monkey who did nothing, his light, like his brain still lit up the same way, right? So it went, oh, I see that behavior over there with that monkey. It's going to raise the cup. My brain's going to light up the same way. And they went, oh, that might explain why when people stub their toe, someone else goes, ooh, because it turns out there are these little neurons in our head. They're called mirror neurons. And essentially, they look at another behavior and they have like empathy with that behavior. I'm not fully explaining it right, but essentially it's the reason why we people click, right? Why people connect with each other because the mirror neurons look at the other mirror neurons and says, oh, I recognize that behavior. I kind of like that. So I'm bringing all of this up only to say that when you do have that reaction, that actually is mirror neurons lighting up back and forth. Ah, yeah. I mean, it's it might be some of the reasons why I like horror movies as much too is i i want to experience that from a distance i don't want it to actually happen <laughs> to me like with the with the screams and terrifying things and stuff like that but i like that sensation of you know 
like like being like like kind of spooked and and like being kind of like freaked out in different moments and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have this written down. I do not want to forget about this one. The best vampire horror movie from that era, by the way, Near Dark. Seen it? Near Dark. Let me make a note of that. Oh my goodness, Catherine Bigelow, who went on to do. Um, God, everything. Zero Dark Thirty. She's an incredible director. One of her first earliest movies. Bloody, brilliant, punk rock version of a vampire film. Nobody knows about this movie. It's a masterpiece. What uh, What do you think about Once Bitten with Jim Carrey? <laughs> Once Bitten? <laughs> Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Gina Davis? I, lo- I love how campy that movie is. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> So it was, that was the thing back then. They kind of had a lot of those films were like that. You're right. Come to think of it. It was, these really over the top, you know, sweet horror movies. You know, it's an odd thing to say, but that was, uh, the movie that, um, Jim Carrey really thought was going to be the beginning of, uh, his, like him becoming a huge movie star. And it, and it took years later after that because it flopped so hard. It did. And actually, he was in, in one called Earth Girls Are Easy, which was another, like, was supposed to be a big movie, which was really good. But do you yeah. know about his Axl Rose impression in uh, Deadpool, the Clint Eastwood movie? No. Uh, you should look this up, my friend. Um, <laughs> this is fantastic. Look it up. All you have to do is YouTube Jim Carrey Deadpool scene. And it's Jim Carrey as a crazy rock star filming a video. And but he's dressed like Axl Rose and they're doing the welcome to he's filming a video for the song. Welcome to the jungle dressed like Axl Rose and then dancing around like a metal head. It is adorably bad. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of all things, Jim Carrey. So I'll have to look that up. Uh, okay. Let's go there for a second. Best Jim Carrey performance. Go. Ooh, performance is different. That's a very specific question. Why? I asked uh, that Cause, go ahead. cause, um, Oh, it might be man on the moon. Um, it might be man on the moon. It's his performance of that is, is so good. Uh, that man, there's a handful, but I could also say, you know, it's hard to say because performance wise, I mean, Ace Ventura two. I feel like they literally, in my opinion, they just let the reins off of Jim Carrey so much yeah. that it's the most ridiculous version of of him that I've seen in any of his movies. He has hints of it, but I feel like the studio kind of grounded him a little bit more in like huh. the movies like Liar Liar and different yeah. things like that. Right. But Ace Ventura too, it felt like all right, you're a movie star, do whatever you want. <laughs> and it, to me, that's like the most purest form of Jim Carrey is, is, uh, is Ace Ventura too when nature calls. Uh, so comedically that one for me, um, even though dumb and dumber is, is one of my, my favorite movies, I'll say that the performance in Ace Ventura two is even stronger. Uh, but then man on the moon, as far as drama, uh, goes, may I uh, counter with a, with a blatant violation that you've missed. What? Uh, Eternal spotless, uh, sunshine mine movie. I like that a lot, but I, I think that the performance Interesting. is even stronger in Man on the Moon. I, you know what, audience? I'm going to go with him again, actually. Judges say he's right. Because <laughs> like now I'm Only thinking be- about it. You're right. I mean, there he's playing multiple shades of, 
I, I mean, it, it's just, I don't know. That movie, I mean, and I might have a soft spot for it because I'm a comedian as well, but uh, it, it's just very impressive how he, he juggles uh, everything in that movie. A thousand percent. I mean, I'm a Kaufman maniac. So I was, ex- I saw the theaters and I was like, yep, that's pretty good. <laughs> I have a beautiful movie. Beautiful. Oh, it's, it, it's amazing. And I, I love the best thing at the end, you know, when Coffin did that, you know, the Radio City Music Hall. And then, by the way, there's buses outside and everyone's going to go. It's just, it's like that sense of wonder that that guy had was just legendary, clearly. Yeah, I um, I had a chance uh, to work with his alter ego, uh, uh, oh, Tony. Bob Zamuda. Oh, yeah. What's that? Yeah, Tony, Bob Zamuda, yeah. Yeah, um, I did a gig where Bob Zamuda was playing Tony Clifton, and I got to play uh, and be a part of his band that night. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of those those odd career highlights. And I'm like, this is just so weird and amazing <laughs> at the same time. It's like very few people will appreciate how cool this is, but those that will will very much appreciate this. Exactly, that's exactly how I feel about it. Because the the if you're not a a huge comedy fan, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But yeah. if you are, you're like, oh, that's like comedy history right there. It's, it's Valhalla. Let's be quite frank. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> you were definitely in Valhalla. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but it's been a fun conversation. I will say this real quickly, kind of before we wrap some things up. I just that, and I'm glad I didn't miss over this one. In Family Reunion, you do the best impersonation of Anthony Kiedis from Rat Chili Peppers I've ever seen. I appreciate that. It's one of those uh, impressions that um, really uh, I haven't really seen too many people do impressions of uh, Anthony Kiedis, and I do find that mine is the best that I've found on the internet. and maybe I should try to expose that more on, on TikTok and different platforms like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I love the red hot chili peppers. I'm a fan of them in general, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm glad that, uh, that you like that impression. <laughs> oh, it was, it was fantastic also. And, uh, by the way, everybody go, go watch family reunion, Jeremiah Watkins, fantastic. And also Jeremiah wonders and the sister brothers. And this guy is just all over the place. Fantastic. But you're right. And the reason I say this is because I used to work, I, so I used to work at Warner Brothers Records, and we would put out a bunch of bands, obviously, and one of those was about Chili Peppers. So I worked on a few of their records. I never really met them, maybe a couple of times in the hallway, but whatever. But we were playing back. The band came in to play back one of the records before it was released, and they kind of would do this sometimes for the company. And I was uh, I was sitting next to Anthony, and he would literally not stop. Like He was listening to his own band, and he was like doing that dumb hand thing, that handshake thing, the entire time I'm sitting next to him. No, thanks. But it was very impressive. And to that point, um, I can't thank you enough for this conversation, my friend. I've had a really great time. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I, I appreciate, uh, you know, you looking at my stuff and uh, and doing uh, doing the research and all that stuff. I appreciate your time, man. You've done good work, but here's what we do. I actually like to uh, send off this way. Uh, I'm going to pretend to say goodbye. You're going to pretend to say goodbye. I'm going to pretend to hang up, and then we'll do a quick postmortem chat. Deal? Sounds good. All right. Okay. Thank you very much for being on the show. I had a blast. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, go watch Fright Night. He and I are not kidding. It's a fantastic film. Look it up on YouTube. Your turn, Jeremiah. 
Thanks so much for having me. Follow me on social media at Jeremiah Standup, and I might be in a city in your town. If you go to jeremiahwatkins.com, I'll be in Madison, Wisconsin coming up, Dallas, Texas, Huntington Beach, California, and Albany, New York. I'll see you guys soon. And if you go to the site, you can sign up for email updates as well, which I just did. Bye, everybody. Click.